Boxed text in the Curse of Strahd reads, A crack of thunder shakes the castle, stirring the dust and cobwebs. You hear a voice. Good evening. This is Save vs. Rant. Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the Everyman Gaming Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today we are talking about read-aloud text, also known as box text. Okay, well, what is read-aloud text? Where does it come from? Why does it exist? What we're talking about specifically today is read-aloud text in RPGs, which is text, usually put in a box, meant to be read verbatim. This has existed since... First edition D&D, and actually kind of before that. Yeah, everything from first edition D&D was inspired by wargaming and the board gaming community. Most war games beforehand, you'd set up going, this scenario is the Battle of 1812, or in this battle, the orcs are fighting the lizard men over this ancient artifact. Or you'd go, we're in deep space and blah, 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 blah. Really, it was just set dressing. Same within tabletop games. Like in Candyland, for instance, you know, the king of Candyland is in trouble and only you can help. Or in Shoots and Ladders, like good little boys get good behavior and go up ladders. Bad children go down the chutes, things like that. Honestly, in board games and tabletop games, typically it doesn't really matter. It's a set dressing meant to give you the idea of the theme of the game. And so it's just a quick little monologue that explains the object of the game, why the game exists, and what's going on in the metagame of the game, in the story behind the game. Uh, In RPGs, it's a little bit different. In RPGs, we really are focusing on the immersion of the game. We're focusing on the two aspects of fun, storytelling and fantasy. In doing so, you are trying to explain the setting to the players. They walk into a room. What do they see? What do they encounter? Where are they at? They can't just be delving into a random dungeon without any reason. And another thing about it is, in RPGs... There's a lot of improvisation. You're allowed to interact with your environment any way you can describe and any way that the rules permit. Which means that while in Candyland, the fact that the Molasses Swamp exists is largely a set dressing for this space that you can get stuck on. In an RPG, maybe you're collecting jars of that molasses. Maybe the molasses is hot enough to use as a weapon. Maybe it's dangerous terrain. There's all kinds of ways you might interact with the molasses that are dependent largely on the description that the DM gives. Are you writing a Candyland RPG? I'm not okay with you writing a Candyland RPG. I might have to write a Candyland RPG now. Uh, I've been fixated on this for the last five or six minutes. Anyway, that's the important thing is in RPGs, this information is all important. Everything that's going on has some potential to have bearing on the story and to be interacted with by the player. So, in a lot of the old modules, what they would do is they would tell you explicitly what you were supposed to say to describe to the player. In most cases, this was just a good description of the room, the area, or whatever that covered all of the bases. And we've got some examples dating back all the way to uh, 2nd edition, right? 
Uh, we do have a few second edition ones that you have. The Barrier Peaks, I believe, had great examples of describing some of the weird objects that you'd encounter. Yeah, that was one specifically that I had in mind. Uh, the Barrier Peaks, if you're not familiar, we've mentioned it before, but it bears repeating. It was an adventure by Gary Gygax that was set in a crash-landed spaceship, and this was supposed to be kind of a secret. Like, the player characters thought they were just going into, like, some ancient metal dungeon, and it's actually this crash-landed alien spaceship. Inside it are a bunch of technological objects. As a result, part of the adventure is that these objects are described to you in an intentionally obfuscated way so that you have to kind of figure out what's going on with them. As an example, when found, this item will usually be folded. It weighs about one pound and will unfold to about one foot. Composed of a U-shaped section of metal rod with a black rivet in one end and an attached piece of thick glass mounted in a frame. The glass is about the size of a hand mirror. One side of the frame are two raised discs, while the other side is a fine mesh mounted on a rod. The two sides of the glass are dark on one side and clear on the other side. In the hinge joining the handle and the glass frame is a slot about the size of a coin. And then it goes on to explain how this device is operating. What it is, is it's actually like some sort of laser pistol. It's a bizarre looking thing. I'll try to include a picture of this in the blog. And it's it doesn't look like any laser pistol I would personally imagine. I think that's kind of the point because, you know, if you described an actual laser pistol, everyone would catch on immediately to what it is whereas the idea behind that was these descriptions aren't going to tell you what it is they're going to kind of confuse you and make you try to figure out what's going on with this and these technological items and blah 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 it ends up being just a metric crap ton of description for what are fairly simple items um another thing that this adventure does is it forces you to explain at several points uh, what uh, things look like in the sense of this alien ship, you know, uh, talking about walls that are a fine metal mesh with a rivet next to them because it's like a call button and a thing. So these end up being some very verbose descriptions of what's going on. And frankly, that gets really uh, tedious is the problem. And it was a novelty back in the day, and nowadays, it's if you just want to describe that the character can't recognize what something is, please just describe that they can't recognize what it is. In many of the editions, this overly verbose boxed text really was an issue. Third edition had a number of great little adventures, which I cut my teeth on as a DM. Some of the boxed text in them is, is just horrible. Let me read a section here from the adventure, The Speaker in Dreams. What was before a vague sense of wrongness has grown into a grotesque affront to your sense of reality. This room defies the boundaries of space as you understand them. Distance seems meaningless, angles that should not exist clearly do, and the room itself seems to ebb and flow in time to an alien heartbeat. Garish brocades hang on the wall, and two figures in dark hooded robes stand in silence. An incoherent jabbering erupts from a pile on the floor, a living heap of mouths and flesh and eyes, a bedlam of howling, hooting, and atonal singing. Curled into a ball on the floor at one end of the room, it is impossible to tell how far away, is a woman in a red gown, clutching her ears and covering her face with her arms. Oh my goodness, I zoned out reading that. That's practically Lovecraftian purple prose there. There's a lot going on. It has that whole, like, you know, squamous horrors from beyond the stars feel to it. And I feel like it could really be broken down into a much more concise uh, 
a horrible gibbering monster and two robed cultists and a lady covering her ears, you know. They got a lot, and they got a lot better with read aloud text in 4th edition. I know that we've said this numerous times, 4th edition is a horrible, awful role-playing game. But they advanced role-playing design in so many good ways. Uh, I have the Keep on the Shadow fell here, and I turned to a random page, and I'm going to just read real quick the description. The raised dais in this old crypt holds a single coffin. Carved on the lid of the coffin is a warrior in plate armor, with a sword laid across his chest, the point toward his feet. Boom. Done. Quick, that was a great description of the room. If the player characters want to know more, they'll, they'll of course, interact with it. In 5th edition, they've gotten even better about it, where most of the rooms or encounters have a brief description, and then more description is, and a more thorough description is added below it. Uh, once again, flipping to a random page in The Curse of Strahd. Arranged haphazardly about the floor of this musty L-shaped room are 13 wooden coffins. That is one sentence, and we are done. Yeah, basically describes everything that you need to know about the room right off the bat, which is a big part of what's going on here, is when you describe a new location, an event, or even a few lines of dialogue from a character, it should be as straightforward as possible. Um... Back in 2013, Wizards had an article. It's no longer up on their website, but I, I remember seeing it. And I've also seen some references to it, specifically about box text, where one of the things they mention is that the DM gets two sentences. Now, this was in a convention setting, like Gen Con, where there's a lot of distractions, there's a lot of stuff going on. And obviously, you're at home games, you're probably going to have better control over your player's interest, but why push the limit? Two sentences is enough to convey the general idea of what's going on and prepare to receive input from your players on what's interesting them. The thing is, if you don't get to the point, give us an introduction and then move on, you're going to lose your players. There's there's a thing that's often brought up is the villain monologue, and everybody's had players break their villain monologues and everyone's gotten a little bit indignant about it. Don't get me wrong, I genuinely love villain monologues sometimes. It's fun to be the villain and to say, like, the evil phrasing, uh, you've fallen right into my trap and stuff. But what people typically cite when they talk about villain monologues... Before I kill you, Mr. Bond. And they act like this results in, like, this giant villain monologue. But if you've ever watched James Bond movies, it's never that. What makes those scenes even a slight bit compelling is that they always end up being a back and forth between Bond and the villain. Like, what, well, do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. And that's the point, is that it ends up being this back and forth, not just a villain monologue. The problem is that when we fall into these villain monologues, if we monologue the way I'm monologuing right now, your villain is not going to be compelling, and what your players are going to want to do is like, well, while he's talking, I'd like to, you know... Which is fine, if that's what you want. Actually, that can be a compelling thing. And the villain continues to drone on like this, you know, and give them an opportunity to act while the villain's modeling. That's one thing. But for the most part, like in Bond movies, when the villains are talking, it'll end up being a back and forth. Like, so this was your plan all along? No, my plan involved this, but then this person got in my way and I had to destroy that. They'll just spill their guts about the whole thing. We were talking about the first Avengers movie earlier. Oh, in the first Avengers movie, 
One of my favorite scenes is when the Black Widow is introduced. She's tied to a chair and being interrogated by these Russian mobsters. And she gets a call on a phone. She goes, these, these guys are spilling their guts right now. And they look confused. And of course, she breaks out of the bonds and takes them out and goes uh, off to the Avengers Initiative. And it's a great scene. If we're talking about traditional boxed text, though, that's really more... Uh, printed material. That's the official campaigns, the official modules. I mean, if you run your own at-home game, you don't have to worry about this at all. No, 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 no. Actually, I disagree entirely. You should be trying to maximize your ability to convey what you want to convey in a truly concise, understandable manner. And the best way to do that sometimes is to prepare, at the very least, a few bullet points of what you want to say. But sometimes... Go ahead, write up a couple of quick sentences about what this room looks like, what's going on. Let me give you a couple of examples with CounterPoint. I've actually prepared a description of just a random room that I remember seeing once somewhere in my life, okay? And I'm going to go through it like it's box text, and you're probably going to hate it, and that's the point. Uh, okay, at the bottom of the stairs is an 8x10 basement room furnished with a matching love seat and couch on which are respectively a knit Afghan blanket resembling the weighted companion cube from the Portal game series accompanied by a large plush pillow resembling a stylized cat and, on the other, a zebra-style throw blanket with a purple plush pillow resembling a stylized penguin. Okay, so there's all this stuff that... Yeah, I'm not done. I'm not done. On one wall, there's a large television, which is off, flanked on either side, a bookshelf, one containing DVDs and one containing video games, both topped with vinyl miniature figures and handmade plush toys resembling a Weeble-esque depiction of a fantasy barbarian and a miniature companion cube. Okay, so that's pretty cool that... <laughs> There are two nerds in black shirts recording a podcast. Situated roughly between the two couches is an orange and pink flowered beanbag chair. In the middle of the room, there's a large container ottoman stacked with books and a computer keyboard. On the walls are various pieces of art, some depicting maps of fantasy realms, a number of autographed pictures of Doctor Who characters, a poster for the animated series Adventure Time, a clock in the shape of the mushroom from Super Mario Brothers franchise, and a poster depicting part of the text from the movie The Princess Bride stylized to look like the characters from The Princess Bride. <laughs> I'm not done, I'm not done, I'm not done. One doorway away from the stairs is a pair of French double doors with windows allowing a view of another significantly more cluttered room beyond that contains shelves full of gaming paraphernalia as well as a slightly disheveled office space. In the other direction from the room is a laundry room with a wall with a chalkboard on it. And we could go on like this. Here's the crazy thing is I haven't even begun to describe this entire room. I didn't say anything about the shelf full of books for small children. I didn't say anything about the fuse box you could see in the corner. There's a cat tower in the room. The room has gallery style lighting. I mean, we could go on for, I could probably spend hours describing everything in this room. Wait, were there creatures in that room? Yeah, yeah, two two nerds recording a podcast. Remember, didn't you catch that part? I I'm sorry, I zoned out. Was there, what? Could, I, could could you go back to the beginning? So th there's what four seats in this room? <laughs> and see, there's the problem: is that this ends up being this long monologue that doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't give you the pertinent information in order. 
One thing that you'll notice about good material that does this sort of thing well is typically there will be a brief description of the space and then you end with whatever the most pertinent objects in the room are. If I ended with that mushroom clock, we all know that mushroom clock is important. If I end with there's a goblet of some sort of steaming liquid on the stove, that steaming liquid is important. If I end with there's two nerds in the room recording a podcast, the two nerds are important. But what I want to open with is a brief description of the space. Let's let's give a quick illustration of why this works and where we see this outside of gaming. Um, in the news media, what you'll often see and what we've seen with newspapers for literally over 100 years is a specific sort of format to the material being presented. When you read a newspaper, the first thing you see is the headline, Florida Man Arrested. Okay, then you see a little byline. Arrested for killing his neighbor with kindness. Uh, Suddenly I'm interested. And then the article is written in such a way that at any point in time you can stop reading it and understand what is going on. A Florida man has been arrested today for attacking his neighbor with a machete. The machete has uh, the words kindness written on the side of it. Huh. Killed him with kindness. That's just how you do in Florida, apparently. It's always fun to imagine that Florida man is all the same guy. Like, Florida man drags alligator into basement for eating dog. Florida man drives through lobby of restaurant due to closed drive through This is all just the same guy. He's a superhero. Florida man! But that's not the point. But the reason that we bring this up, though, is box text should be done in uh, a similar way. Give the most interesting information as quick as you can, and then if the player characters want more information, let them ask for it. Let them continue on. Uh, John, you should have another example over there of, a, of another room? I sure do. You enter a comfortable basement living room adorned with the typical trappings of a suburban basement accentuated by a large amount of nerd paraphernalia throughout. Seated across from one another, a pair of bearded nerds in black recording a podcast on laptops. All right, that was two sentences right there. I immediately know what's going on in the room. And if I want to know more, I'll engage with it. Th- there are two nerds recording a podcast. I'll shout out to them. Hey, hello. How you doing? What are you doing here? Uh, what are you doing in my house? One of the nerds says in confusion. Oh, wait, that's your house. I get it now. Explains why the door was locked, doesn't it? But... You know, they'll explore the room. The The players aren't just going to let it slide, you know. At some point, you might mention that, you know, a white cat walks across the room and hops up onto a cat tower situated in the corner. Boom. There we go. Another sentence that gives us a lot more description, adds another element to the room, and gives it a purpose. Explains the meaning behind it. Uh, you might also have to bring up at some point, yeah, there's adequate seating in the room. There's like a love seat and a couch and also a beanbag chair. Boom. There we go. Couple of folded chairs in the corner. Boom. We know how much seating is in the room. When that becomes important, it can be brought up. For the most part, dumping information on your players is a great way to have them ask you for that information again. But if you wait until they actually need that information, until they have an interest in it, they're going to get the information they need, and we're not going to have to needlessly repeat yourself. So my big takeaway from all of this, the big thing that I want to get across is give enough information to describe what's going on and then let the players play in the fantasy realm that you've created. 
If they want to know more, they'll know more. If they don't want to know more, you've saved yourself a bunch of time. For me, role-playing is about the fellowship between me, the DM, and the players. It's not just me time. There's a really derogatory term that uh, we use for dungeon masters who just sit there and play with themselves. Uh, I can't remember it, but it, but it's a very dirty term. Yeah, we'll just move on from uh, game masturbating and talk about something else. One thing that I was thinking of that we were talking about a little bit before this podcast that I wanted to kind of elaborate on is we were talking about describing, say, a kitchen, all right? Everybody should have an idea, I think, of what a kitchen is. If I say there is a, a fully furnished uh, suburban kitchen, here you know what you're seeing right for the most part yeah you know there's a refrigerator there's a sink there's a stove there might be a coffee maker there's definitely cabinets full of stuff everywhere the player characters should feel free to say things like well i'm gonna pull a saucepan out you know it might you might imply that their character has to search for a saucepan because they're not familiar with the layout of this specific kitchen but you should expect there to be saucepans in a kitchen What you might end up saying, though, are things like, you know, as you open the cupboards in the kitchen, you recognize that they're all completely bare. The kitchen looks like a fully furnished kitchen. It has all the accoutrements of a kitchen on the surface. But as soon as you begin exploring, you realize that there's nothing here to actually cook with. Completely different feel. And it's also a different feel from me saying you step into a kitchen conspicuously empty of any sort of utensils or vessels. These are both completely different descriptions of very similar things that get a lot of nuance across. In one case, the kitchen is going to look empty. It's going to feel like the things that should be there are missing. In the other ones, it's not until you start exploring that you recognize that it's missing these vital aspects of what make it a kitchen. And I think that when you start to internalize the differences between how people process information and between giving them certain facts up front and letting them discover certain facts, you find that you can manipulate the expectations, feelings, and emotions of your players in response to what you're trying to convey in a given scene. Does that, does that make sense? Or does that just sound super pretentious? Cause I think, I think I really was touching on something, but it only sounds pretentious. If you take it as words from on high, this is really just, Years and years and years of game design being distilled into what is right now the golden age of role-playing. Also note that it's not just what you say, but how you say it. John and I are pretty experienced DMs. We, We have a way of talking with our players. But if you have a DM that just looks at the uh, read-aloud text and goes... You hear the rustle of dead vines all around you. Inhuman shapes emerge from the venue, their limbs cracking as they trudge forth through the mist and rain. Oh my god, I'm bored halfway through the first sentence. You have to be an engaging person, and you have to really focus on what's there. Going back to John's kitchen example, if you have something that's important for the player characters to notice, point it out. You enter into a modest suburban kitchen, There is a pot boiling away on the stovetop. That's another thing is we often want to remind DMs to emphasize what's unusual and glaze over what's obvious. Because we could go through that kitchen and say, yeah, it has a sink, it has a refrigerator, it has a stove. Um, But, 
we probably can just get away with saying a modest suburban kitchen and all of that's implied. You know, the players might have important questions like, oh, is the stove gas or electric? That could be important. But if there's a pot boiling away on the stove, I mean, that might be an important uh, thing. And if for some reason the chemicals in that pot could potentially explode, you might want to specify um, on an open burner flame, there's a pot boiling away on the stove. See, just tiny changes in how you describe things can completely change what the emphasis of the action in the scene is. One other little thing that I do want to focus on here. We've mentioned that you do want to have the descriptions be short and to the point and succinct. But if it's the final battle in the module, if it's the final clash against the villain, you're entitled to describe the space a little bit more. This is the big grand finale. Likewise, you're allowed to have the villain have his monologue. Even better, you're allowed to have the villain have his villain dialogue. And, most importantly, you have a good chance to draw it out as you're describing it, and then say, roll initiative. The important thing is when you've built that climax, you're allowed to get away with a little more description because your players are already riveted. They're already reeled in. They're already invested. Yeah, you're not halfway through the adventure suddenly describing this hill giant's hovel in exquisite detail and they're like, oh yeah, we're ready to fight the hill giant. They can explore the hovel at their leisure after the fight and that's probably what will happen. Chances are they're not really going to get a good chance to dig through the hill giant's garbage and treasure and such until after the hill giant's been dealt with anyway. So don't bother to throw all that description at them. And if the hill giant's not there, you'll probably heighten the sense of urgency by not describing this and being like, well, what are you checking out? What are you exploring? What interests you in this hovel? Maybe he's on his way back. They don't know. Either way, you are conveying a mood by being simple with your information, by not dumping everything. The more you dump, the less you're able to emphasize. Less is more in this case. The less you give them and the less you try to fit everything under this umbrella of box text and this umbrella of monologuing your way through it, the better chances you're going to have of conveying the parts that are really important and getting your characters interested in what really matters. So that's mostly what we have to say about read-aloud text, about box text. As we mentioned before, if you have a big, long monologue, uh, things might not soak in. So let's give our final wrap-up points here. Box text should be used to quickly describe the scene and describe what's important, and then turn the floor over to the player characters and let them describe to you, the DM, what is important, what they find in the room, and what they want to look at in the room. Try to keep your box text below a full paragraph, preferably toward two sentences. Because we're not at a convention, we can probably get away with it a little more, but let's not press our luck. Players have limited attention spans. So, what do we have up next? Well, probably an episode that we can't actually summarize in, like, you know, a quick back and forth. Uh, We're going to be talking about Forgotten Realms. It's going to be another setting spotlight. This is an iconic D&D setting dating all the way back to the origins of D&D, and it's Ed Greenwood's pet setting, one of the earliest living settings and a perennial setting of D&D throughout every edition of the game. One of the most interesting things about this episode is 
John and I don't necessarily like the Forgotten Realms setting all that much, but we're going to give it a fair shake. We're going to dive into it and explore exactly what makes the setting super engaging, what interests people in it. And, I mean, I just saw the trailer for the new Baldur's Gate game. I'm excited for that. Yeah, I have to admit that a lot of the video games and such set in the Forgotten Realms have been some of my favorites. Pools of Radiance, Baldur's Gate, I mean... Stuff dating all the way back to my Nintendo days and dating all the way forward to my current PC days. So it's actually going to be a interesting little adventure we're going to go on with this. So once again, this has been Save vs. Rant. Thank you very much for listening. Most people are other people. Their thoughts are someone else's opinions. Their lives a mimicry. Their passions a quotation. Oscar Wilde. Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at SaveVsRant.com, or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.